And we're going to start at Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. And I want to continue that thought that we just heard from Pastor Kyle regarding uh, the mind of Christ, where we take our thought life, we bring it to the cross, and we have something that renews us, which is the spirit of wisdom. And that wisdom is something that the, the world lacks today. I'll just tell you a story at the beginning before I read the scripture. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20 is where we're at. But how many remember Muhammad Ali? Okay. All right. So he, um, he was in a plane one time flying, and the, the captain came, got on the PA or whatever you call that system and said, uh, please buckle up. We're going to be hitting moderate turbulence. And when you hear the word moderate turbulence, for those of us that fly, or if you hear them say, one time I heard the captain say, stewardesses, he said it really quick, I didn't catch it at first, he said, stewardesses, take your jump seats. Get in your jump seats. I thought, okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Are they jumping out of the plane or what? And these are these special seats that you see that are like, they're like an L, and you get in them, and they're like, it's like a full body, two full body, seatbelts and it just straps your body to the back of the seat so they're just like that you know and and i'm like what's it you know what are jump seats and all of a sudden the plane just starts to shake and just vibrate and people are screaming <clears throat> by the way if you're ever in a plane that has bad turbulence just remember this to my knowledge and i've read it and studied it there's no such thing as a plane falling out of the sky because of turbulence so no matter how bad it gets, don't worry. Your plane's not going to go down. All right? I never knew that turbulence could be so bad until I started flying out to, you know, the southwestern part of the United States. That's unbelievable. Um, and uh, so Muhammad Ali is in this plane, and uh, everyone's buckling up except for Muhammad Ali. And uh, the stewardess goes over. Well, they, we call them, they call them, not stewardesses, they call them now flight attendants, right? That's the politically word correct word to use the flight attendant goes over genderless everything's going genderless now isn't it so he goes over to Muhammad Ali and says sir you have to buckle up and Muhammad Ali said Muhammad need no seatbelt and uh, because uh, Muhammad is uh, Superman Superman don't need no seatbelt and the stewardess said to him Superman don't need no airplane and the point there is is that when you think of wisdom wisdom gives us the bigger picture of a scenario outside of self-consciousness outside of what's going on wisdom gives us the bigger picture that uh, self-deception can be like Muhammad Ali in the plane saying I don't need any seatbelt by the way you do need a seatbelt most injuries and turbulence always happen to those people that refuse to put their seatbelts on because they're the ones flying around the cabin, okay, hurting everybody else. Wisdom gives us the bigger picture. So, Proverbs chapter one, verse twenty, and um, Proverbs chapter one, verse twenty. Let's read this. Wisdom shouts in the street. I'm reading the New American Standard Version. Wisdom shouts in the street. Now, when you look at Proverbs chapter one, and wisdom is is kind of personified as a woman, as a wise, godly, beautiful woman. Imagine the scene, a wise, godly woman that's very elegant and very stately and very, uh, very powerful is standing on the street shouting out, okay? It's almost like street preaching. She lifts her voice in the square. 
which is in the center of the city. Verse 21, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. That word streets is not in the original, so it says, at the head of the noisy, like in the midst of all the noise, she's crying out. Verse 21, the second part, at the entrance of the gates in the city, she utters her sayings. The entrance of the gates of the city was, was the place in ancient cities where everyone got their news. This was the, because the gate of the city was really the place where everybody would go in and out. It was like the gossip center. It was also a place where there were these very smart men that would kind of sit around the gate and had their opinions about what was going on. On my street, at the end of their cul-de-sac where we live, there's a, there's a guy, an elderly, elderly man, who's always sitting in his garage looking at everything that's going on. And I thought, that's his worldview. That's his consciousness. That's, his world is at the end of a cul-de-sac. And everything that's going, the people walking, kids playing, is really what he perceives. And at the gate of the city, wisdom is speaking her sayings. Okay, what's the gates of the city today? What would we call that? City Hall. City Hall. <laughs> what would we call that? The Internet, right? Yep. What would we call that? Social media. What would we call that? The church. Call that at the kitchen table at home. Wherever there is a group of people that are gathered together with a, with, a transforma- with a transference of information, wisdom wants to speak there. How long? And this is what she says in verse 22. So what is she shouting on the streets in the middle of the noise at the gates of the city? She's saying, how long, O oh, naive ones? Okay, the original word here is naive. Everybody know what naive means? What's naive mean? Gullible. A lot of us think that some family members are naive. Some of our kids may be naive. Naive means that we do not we believe an ideal not understanding the consequence, correct? Not knowing what the consequence is. That's naive. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple minded? And the original word there in the in the in the Hebrew language is foolishness. Just absolute foolishness or non-thinking person. How long, O naive ones, will you love being non-thinking? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing. You ever met a scoffer? I remember being at my grandmother's house. And um, my younger brother, not Pastor Jason, but the one between us. um, My grandmother was baking her special banana pie cake whatever it was it was just amazing just she would take these old 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 bananas let them just get really black and she would make this awesome pie out of it so she had just finished everybody's nodding their heads you guys know what i'm talking about right okay so that she had just taken the thing off the stove and she said my brother started to approach the stove and he must have been like titus's age or something walked up to the stove and my grandmother said don't touch the stove and he said why well, touch it and you'll find out. My grandmother was hardcore. She wouldn't give you the answers. It was all about experience, right? So he, I could, you do this these days, you're going to wind up in jail, right? Child Protective Services will show up at your house. So my brother puts his hand right on the, on the oven and burns it. It was like a little burn, but he, you know, <laughs> that was, he never did it again. And that was, that was naivety that, that nets wisdom. The point I'm making here is, is that he was scoffing and he was, he goes, why can't I touch that? 
You just well, he was like going against what my grandmother was saying, and he learned scoffers are like scoffers are people that when you tell them wisdom, they just laugh at you. They're like, "What are you talking about? You have no idea what you're talking about." That's a scoffer, right? Like, don't ride your bike so fast in the backwoods when it just rained. I was scoffing, and this is what happened to my wrist. It's okay now. I was reading this morning about wisdom, and one Ravi Zacharias said, Wisdom teaches us that we're no longer invincible. <laughs> so it's okay. I'm 50 years old. I think I'm realizing that now, finally. And fools hate knowledge. You know, a foolish person will hate information, proper information. You can tell them the right information. And by the way, don't be afraid to live in absolutes because I want to talk about this some other time, but faith is binary. It is, it is either a one or a zero. It's either there or it's not there. We live in a world of absolutes. We are either dead or we are alive. We are either walking in the spirit or we're not walking in the spirit. Faith is very, in many ways, and I want to explain this later maybe, Faith is very digital, and I just have I just made this whole blog post about it. I'm just kind of finishing the touches on it, and I want to post it. An idea that I got out was coming back from Houston uh, last weekend. Fools hate knowledge because they don't even know, they don't even know how to understand how to value it. You ever meet somebody that you want to give them some information, some help, but you know that they won't even value that information, right? And you're like. That's what Jesus said. I have many things to tell you to his disciples, but you just cannot bear it right now. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I have this information for you, I have, but if I give it to you, it, it's just going to fall by the wayside. And you kind of have to go through this on your own with God. And, but verse 23, Turn ye at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. And I will make my words known unto you. And I want to talk about it at the end. Wisdom is defined in understanding the consequences and the dead end of the road of sin. That, that sin takes us down the road. There's a road of sin. Wisdom tells us what the end of that road is. It's foreseeing the pain, the suffering, and the inner destruction that sin surely causes. That's wisdom. Wisdom is seeing the end of something. And a lot of times, wisdom is something that uh, comes by experience. There's two ways we can learn in our life. We can either learn by those that have done it and been there, and like the book of Proverbs, who's been there and done that. By the time that um, Solomon writes the book of Proverbs, he's in a place in his life where he's experienced a lot of the world. And uh, some commentators believe at this point that he was a very old man, just destroyed and broken because of life and all of the pleasures of life. And he's writing this book, and he's using the notes that he got from his father David when his father David would teach him. And wisdom is something that begins in our life when we begin to fear the Lord. Now, fearing the Lord is not living in a phobia. We know that. Fear of the Lord is not living in intrepidation. But fear is something that I understand the consequences of something. Now, grace takes all the consequences, and mercy takes all the consequences of sin and heals us from it all. But there's a road that we choose to walk on, and that road, if we understand the consequences of certain decisions, then that's a road that we don't go down. 
Uh, self-deception is just the opposite. Self-deception is really living when we just deny the inevitable. Like It's like Galatians chapter 6. I won't reap what I'm sowing. Because, and you know, when a person lives in self-deception, there is just no rationalization going on in their minds. They're just, they're not thinking about the consequences. Why does God bring in guidelines into our life so that he can legalistically control us? I mean, if we don't have a revelation of the spirit of grace, and we don't have the word of grace being stored up in the rooms of our soul in Acts 20, verse 32, then we're going to look at God's plan for our life as control. And a lot of people look at churches today as controllers, controlling. And this is very much a satanic type of thinking, Luciferian type of thinking, where all establishment is bad because they control. The devil doesn't want us to understand that when we begin to discover the word of grace that sets us free from the power of the law and the power of sin and the past, that we can live in true liberty. The devil does not live in liberty. We taught this before on our series on the, on the, on the devil several months ago. The devil is not free to roam around the world. Actually, before the devil fell, he had the ultimate freedom when he was in the heavenlies with the Father uh, at the throne room of God, he had liberty to worship and to lead the worship and to uh, reflect the glory of God. But when Lucifer fell and became Satan, and when he rebelled against God, he entered into bondage. Satan is the most bound, most um, unfree being that's on the planet today because he has become bound to his own, his own way. Self-deception happens in our life the moment we stop believing that I'm fallen. And we call that word in our, in our church depraved, depravity. Um, Thomas Aquinas introduced, and many others introduced the type of thinking in church history that human beings have fallen in every way except for the mind. They can reach God in their mind. The mind hasn't fallen, but the rest of the body has. And that's error, because the mind has also fallen. We have completely fallen. We are completely depraved. And the moment we stop realizing that, then we are deceived. We are self-deceived. See, the world system says, hey, look, the credit system, right? We all know what that is. The credit system gives money to people based on the fact that we are humanly good and we're going to pay back our bills. You know, the whole system's based on human goodness. And the whole world system, the, whole, the, the way the government looks at people or the way the system looks at people is that people are basically good and when it comes down to push to shove, people are going to make a good decision. That's why we can make all the bathrooms in America transgender and we can send... Uh, adult men that are 30 years old into the women's bathroom. I mean, I'm sorry, I don't like to get into politics here, but that is so, so wrong. We're a church, we can say these things. We're not out here, you know, uh, beating the political agenda, but we are also, somebody says we need to pray for a revival in America. What's going, we need, well, can I tell you what? Revival starts in the pulpits of the churches in America. And if we're not preaching the word of God and preaching against sin, then, then why can't? Why are we trying to elect a pastor as a president? We don't. We're not electing a pastor. We are electing a president. We can't look at the president as someone who is going to be the moral 
the moral keeper of our country. Who are the moral keepers? Who are the moral preachers? Who are who is the light in the city on on a city on a hill in the United States? The churches in America, and that's why we need to live with the mind of Christ, as Pastor Kyle was talking about, to live in God consciousness with the. Wear the right glasses. Understand the right perception of the way the world is. Self-deception happens in our life immediately when we stop believing that I have a fallen nature. When we get a little familiar with our fallen nature, when we get a little bit like, you know, a little careless with, with the fallen nature, like, you know, I can trust myself. Like, Peter had this problem in Matthew chapter 16. Peter said, Jesus, I will follow you till death. Till they throw me into prison. I'll go to prison with you. I'll go and die with you. What did Jesus said? Jesus said this. He says, in essence, he said, he said, Peter, Matthew 16, he says, you think you know your heart. You think you can presume that you have the power in your heart to follow me to death. Because Jesus says, and he didn't say this, but in essence, he's saying this, I see through the eyes of wisdom that you don't have that power to do that and that you need to depend on the total grace of God and the total mercy of God every moment of your day and every moment of your life because if you don't, when we trust the energy of ourself and our goodness, then what will happen is is that we become deceived and then we actually, within 24 hours, you're going to deny me three times. Self-deception is when we begin to trust our heart, like, oh no, I'm not going to fall in that area. This is the this is the scoop. This is the strategy of the devil. For him to, the devil wants you, you and I, to fall in an area that we would have never, ever, ever felt that we would have fallen in, because that's the area of our life that we're the most familiar with. Oh no, I'm never going to rob a bank. You know, I'm such a good person. Why? You know, I'm just using that as an extreme example. Self-deception is when we begin to think that we can trust our heart. It's another example, a very graphic example is in Job chapter 41, verses 1 through 10, where God is speaking to Job and he says, and everybody's like, the Leviathan, is he a dinosaur? It doesn't matter what that is. Actually, the Leviathan is a picture of the old sin nature. That dragon that's inside of every one of us, the sweetest kid and the most amazing older person. There's a dragon inside of us. And God is saying to, to Job, he says, do you think that you have the wisdom to play with that old sin nature or to play with that dragon? Because he will take you over. And if you play with him like you would play with a bird, you'll learn never to do that again. It just goes on and on. There's a part of us that just needs to daily go to the cross. It's called the flesh. It's the old sin nature. And I don't really need to talk much about that because we all know what it is. And when we take that to the cross, it's living in wisdom. So in Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, we see a lot of exit signs off the road to destruction. Remember, wisdom is when we see the end of a matter, the consequences, the pain, the suffering that it causes. And that's why God hates it. Why does God hate sin? Because, because it, some people would say, well, God can't control a person when he's living in sin. He, when a person is living in sin, they're truly free to make their own decisions. They are not. When we live in sin, we are slaves to that sin. Remember that. When we live in, like, um, someone said the other day, you know, what are your appetites? You know, what's your sin of choice? And I said, I don't have any. I'm not. And that guy said to that person, I said, I don't know if I can trust someone 
that has no appetites in their life. That is so off. That's so wrong. What, what is that thinking? It's, the, we, it's not the person that lives in there. It's a person that lives at the cross that we can begin to trust. Mm-hmm. And so the exits that are so well defined, they're so well posted on the road to destruction. And it just says, exit here. Exit here in the grace of God and just get and rebound in grace. Because when we exit, the Bible says here that there is a, that there is a reward. Um, I know it's a little bit of maybe a tough message. I don't preach like this very often, but I think if there's an area in our, our, our life that we just don't bring to the cross, I think within 10 to 15 years is going to take us out. It's just going to... Sometimes my wife and I were going through a lot of photos um, last night because we're just, you know, packing the house. And we're kind of going through all the photos. And, we're, and some of the folks, some of our friends, you know, are no longer, you know, walking with God. And we were, like, thinking we were so grieved, you know, like, wow, what happened to them? You know, some of them had such a great impact in our life. And now they just deny God and they're just living in the world. And that's deception. That can happen. But you know, there's a reward. If we take, if we at any moment, First John one nine, we can rebound in the grace of God, and that's the end of the matter with God. That's the end. Right at that moment, we confess, we say to God the same thing that God says about things. We don't even need to get emotional about it. And that's going to sound a little strange. Where in the Bible does it say get emotional about your sin? It, 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 the Bible doesn't say that. Godly sorrow is not an emotional sorrow. Godly sorrow is something that's a deep decision in my heart saying, you know, this is a crazy way of thinking. Uh, it's a provision for the flesh in, in Ephesians 4, verse 27. I'm not going to make that done deal. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to let's go buy a sandwich and, and enjoy God's plan. You know, living in daily wisdom takes the punch out of temptation. So if you're living in temptation, if you feel like you're being tempted, and we're all there, sometimes temptation comes out of nowhere and we're just like whoa what is that and it doesn't matter you know temptation comes no matter what age you're at when temptation comes you know what takes the punch or the sting out of the temptation just think about the end of that where's that going to lead you in your life where's that going to take you where's that going to go you know where's that going to lead you what kind of pain is that going to cause in your life you know what what is that going to do in your life and then begin to look at the gracious, amazing plan of God for your life. When we see the consequence of things, that just takes the, the pull, the joy, the desire out of temptation. Because when temptation comes, the devil wants you and I to get into this moral fight based on the law. You can't do that. I can't do that. But I want to do that. But you can't. I want to. I can't. And then and we turn into these psychotics. right? We begin like double, we become like spiritually schizophrenic. You ever been at that place before? You're like, I want to do this, but I can't do this. Why can't I do this? And, you, and you, we find ourselves like Eve at the garden talking with the serpent. And we don't even recognize the serpent in the room. I mean, what's wrong with that picture in Genesis chapter 3? Eve should have said, you're the serpent, get out of here. That should have been the end of the conversation. But the, the serpent always likes to put the emphasis on something else rather than the main issue in our life. When you and I get into this psychological war in our mind about what we can and cannot do, we are already outside of the sphere of grace in our thinking. Grace says, you know what? God has freely given us 
all of these trees in the garden to eat. So freely eat, except for that tree. Don't eat out of that tree because you'll die, right? I was looking at my dog the other day, and, you know, if you have a pet, sometimes your pet looks at you, and, you know, you're like, wow, you know, this is an amazing animal. Um, I got my, I got this, the dog for my wife. Um, I said, honey, this dog is for you. You're going to walk it. You're going to take care of it. Because I'm not going to be caught on a street with a little white, cute dog with pointy ears. That's just not my... Guess who walks the dog three times a day? (laughs) I told you this story before, but when we were living in Maryland, my dog was so famous, and she's still famous where we live now. I would have... This happened. Literally, a woman pulls up in this big SUV, rolls down the window, and I'm looking at her like, who is this woman? She looks down at my dog and goes, hi, Angel, how are you? My dog's just all happy and jumping around and wants to get in the car with her. And then she rolls up the window and drives off. I was like, I'm just the owner. (laughs) My dog was so famous. But when we understand that, we understand that the result of something, I don't know how that story goes with the message, but I'm going to close with this. And when we understand the end of something, it just kind of takes us the punch out of it, doesn't it? And that's what we want to communicate to people that we love that are at a place of temptation. Say, you know what? Hey, it's not about what you can or cannot do. You can do anything you want, whether you're a Christian or not. We have a free will. I mean, and people do whatever they want to do. Christianity is not about limiting people's options. Christianity is about telling people about the road of grace and freedom from sin and freedom from the law. And like Pastor Kyle said, in, in the place of the skull, which is in the midst of our mind, having a cross that crucifies me and my old sin nature and my past. You know what? Maybe God's got a calling on your life. Maybe you're living in your past. Maybe you're thinking, oh, I can't do it. All these things, I do. everybody knows me in town. It's, I don't know. I don't know if I can serve God. That is so, that's so demonic. I just want to say that you, we, that you and I will stand before God with our calling. Like, let's take our calling and say, you know what? God has called me, and I'm going to set myself apart to that calling. And I'm going to go at it. I'm going to study, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to learn how to be the best mom, the best preacher, the best, the best person in that area. I'll close with this. A daily cross causes us to live in the new because old things are passed away. When we're feeling bad about ourselves and we get tempted by the law and the old sin nature to modify and reform our life, you ever have a moral reformation and you're like, I'm turning over a new leaf. <laughs> the problem is that the leaf is from the old tree. No matter what side you're looking at it, the, the, the leaf is, is from the wrong tree. We want to have the new tree, which is the tree of life, that tree of grace, that new, 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 new creation in us that old things are passed away and behold, all things are new. That's what wisdom is saying. Wisdom is saying on the street, how long are you going to live in short-sighted naivety, not understanding the consequences of the life that you... Sometimes kids grow up in a church and they look at the world and they're like, whoa, that's like so cool out there. But, they're, and, but they, you know, they grow up in Christian school, they... I grew up in public school, so I just know everything that's going on in that school. Those are, I went to Christian school for one semester, and that's all I could afford, and I went back to public school. Kids look at the world, and they're like so tantalized by it, you know? And once they get out of the high school and they, they're free, they start going into the world. 
But when we understand the end of things, and that's what we want to communicate to our kids, and that's what we want to communicate to people, that you know something, you, you know, an individual can do whatever they want, and God will allow them to reap the decisions that they make. But we plead with you, as wisdom pleads with you, choose the grace road. Choose the road that God has for you. Take, your, take that dragon that's inside of you in, in Job 41 and drag him to the cross and let Christ crucify that. And don't live in this moral, in this moral battle in your mind and your skull about right and wrong, but live in the, in, the, in the powerful calling of God in our lives. We have a great spring. We're in the middle of spring already, but we have a great summer ahead of us. We've got a men's getaway coming up in a, two and a half weeks. Uh, we got some great things. We got a great convention coming up in, in, in June the 20th through the 25th in Baltimore. I really want to encourage us to go to that. Um, let's carpool and go down. Great things are going to be happening in your families this summer. Every day of your life and every moment of your life has brought you to this day. You, we got an, such an awesome future ahead of us. Let's use wisdom. And when the devil tries to blindside us with with bitterness or temptation or sadness or depression or some, like Pastor Kyle was saying, some kind of tantalizing new age type of experience. Let's look at the consequence of that. And let's look at the consequence of following Christ. I remember in Bible college when things got really hard sometimes, you know, those the difficult times that you face in Bible school. And I just would just picture myself that one day going down the aisle and getting my diploma. I would think about that. That day, someday, there's going to be a day where I get my diploma, and it's going to be all over, and my school's going to be over, and I'll be starting off with an amazing life with Christ and my calling. And when times get tough, think about the Bema seat. Think about the day when Christ rewards us. The Bema seat's not a place of destruction and judgment. We've taught in that. The Bema seat is a place of reward for all of those cold, cup of cold waters that you gave without a thank you. That's what we want to look at. That's true wisdom. Wisdom that gives us the mind of Christ and power to, to walk that road of joy and excitement that we have with Christ. Amen? So let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can be in this very evil day and age. Who would have ever thought that a politician would be functioning outside of all of the checks and balances of a government that was set up by Christian forefathers and demanding things in public schools that who would have ever thought that that's I mean these are perilous times and they're only going to get worse our job as a church is to pray to stand in grace to preach like wisdom did Wisdom is very evangelical and has a vision for people that are lost. And so we too want to have that vision. Lord, help us to call people. Help us to reach out to people. Help us to go to our neighbors. Lord, help us to reach people, to cry out, on the, cry out in their streets and just say, God has so much for you. We thank you, Lord. And again, just be with Margie's family as they grieve the loss. And we just ask you, God, that you would Bless the week that's ahead of us, in Jesus' name. And also we pray for the offering that we're going to take right now as the ushers get ready to take the offering.
we want to just pray that you would take these funds that don't go to our pockets, but just goes to the mission of the church. And we thank you that we can be ambassadors for righteousness' sake. In Jesus' precious name, amen.